Our Bible reading tonight is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 22 to 26. And, of course, this is the great high priestly prayer of Jesus and we're going to be referring to different parts of the prayer but the key part we're looking at is in this text. So let's read together John 17 from verse 22 where Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we... Thank you for your word that lives, may live in all of our hearts tonight, myself included, as we examine this part of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the plan? The plan of life. What what is the plan? Uh, Even people, many people who even say they believe in God don't believe there is actually a plan because bad things happen. So that's the proof that there's no plan, isn't it? Uh, Here the um, expert advice of Richard Dawkins, atheist, who tells us there is no plan. Richard Dawkins, out of his book, River Out of Eden, says, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. In other words, no plan, no purpose, just pitiless indifference. But of course, We, as believers, believe there's a plan, right? What is it? I know it's so if you believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, put your trust in Christ, then you will not end up in hell, you will end up in heaven. Uh, Is that the plan? Uh, Sounds good, but it sort of sounds more like an endurance test because what about all this mess in between that we've got to endure to get to that, if that's just the plan. Um, in Jesus' prayer, uh, in earlier in the prayer in, in John 17, verse 5, he asks the Father to be restored to the glory he had with the Father before the world began. So 
there's Jesus looking forward to that restoration that he had with the Father before the world began. So did all the stuff in between mess up his plan? Because if he's got that knowledge and full consciousness of eternity before and the eternity ahead, then God must have known, must have chosen this. So what's the point? Well, Jesus Jesus says in this prayer where we, we just read in verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, Father gave him, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. So Jesus gave the disciples glory. How did he do that? Well, he manifested himself as to who he was to them. But this is early on. This is before the cross, the resurrection, where we're told that this is Jesus' true glory at the cross, and this, that hasn't happened yet. But even, even those things are not the end of the plan. The end of the plan is where we read before in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. That's the end of the plan. That's the plan, the, the glory of God. Now, a lot of people have trouble with stuff like our catechism. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. But people think, hang on a minute, what's God want all this glory for himself? Is there something wrong with God? And the reason they think that is because they think in human terms of human glory, which is very different than God glorifying himself. God can and must glorify himself if he is to remain a God of truth. Anything else would be a lie. Why? Because God is glorious. That's who God is. And the big difference between human self-seeking glory and God's glory is this. When we seek glory for ourselves, we're looking to lift ourselves up beyond who we really are or what we really deserve, above other people as though we are above other people. That's human self-centred glory. God never seeks to lift himself up beyond who he already is. In fact, we see the, the great moment of, of Jesus' great glory, the moment where he says, I'm going to be glorified, is actually when God has come down. The humiliation of Jesus becoming a human. What does Philippians 2 say? He humbled himself, being found in appearance as a man, being obedient even to death on a cross. That's the glory of God. He comes down even to his glory, but he never lifts himself up beyond who he is. So glorifying God is just so right and perfect that when we glorify God, we're being godly. We're being, it's God-like, right? Why? Because that's what God does for himself within the persons of the Trinity. If, you, if you've got a Bible open there, the start of this prayer in John 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. 
Do you notice that? Father glorifying the Son, Son glorifying the Father, because the Holy Spirit is always pointing in glory to the Father and the Son. That's who God is. That's how God's existed forever and ever in this glory. The three persons glorifying each other. So when we glorify God, we're being restored. We're being coming to the fullness of what we're really meant to be in being like God, glorifying God. It's how we were created. But, of course, something went terribly wrong, uh, the fall of man, the fall of man, man seeking his own glory. What was that original sin all about? If you think about it, it's about one thing, man wanting to glorify himself. So eat of the fruit and you'll be like God. You know, you'll be up there, you'll have the knowledge of God, and all this, you know, you'll get what, what you want. And ever since that moment, humanity has been obsessed with self-glory. We're obsessed. We want to win the argument. We want, we want our name to be a good name. We want to be lifted up. Or we want to choose other heroes that we we want to want to glorify. In other words, we're created for this glory, and when we don't give it to God, we will find it in some other idol. We'll turn even good things into idols to glorify. Like for instance, what would have happened if the Matildas had won the World Cup? We would have basked in the glory. Right? That's us. Like, what did you have to do with it? Come on. (laughs) But yes, we did it. We did it. I love that when people say that. We did it. Or you, people, they go to their, see their favourite singer or group or or sporting hero. What are they doing? They're glorifying them. They're obsessed in glory. We're obsessed with glory. And if we do not give that glory to God, We'll find somewhere else to do it, some other idol, because we were created to glorify. You know, the angels, God's ministering spirits, will share heaven with us. They'll be alongside us worshipping the glory of God forever and ever. But they won't be able to experience the fullness of that joy, that glory, that we will. Not that they won't have any experience of that glory, but they won't be able to experience the same measure. Why? Because these sinless angels, angels who'd never sinned, could never know what it is to be a redeemed sinner whom God himself gave his one and only son for me, the, the sinless angels will never be able to say, there he is. He died for me. He gave his life for me. He took my sins away and forgave me. So there's a measure in which um, this plan of God includes even the fall. It's not that God brought about the fall. That was man's choice. The point is God was not outsmarted by it but used it to bring even greater glory 
and knew all along what he was going to do. And we're even more directly involved in this plan of glory. You know, when we ask why do we go through suffering or trials, hard times, just reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the apostle says, but we all are being transformed into the same image, that's of Christ, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So there is a plan. We're being transformed, prepared for that time when we will see the glory of Jesus, to be able to experience it in fullness. We are being transformed into glory ourselves. Now, okay, being transformed, how does, how does that happen? We're being transformed in the likeness of Christ. What did Christ go through? Suffering, temptation, trials. So we are following in his footsteps of being transformed through those trials, through those difficulties. Our suffering is producing what? Glory, preparing us for glory. There is a plan. And yes, the end of that plan is to see the glory of Jesus, but we need to be prepared to be able to fully experience all that God wants us to experience in becoming more like Jesus in this life. And it is a lifelong process. <clears throat> and the end goal is to see Jesus in his glory. So the thing is, all this stuff along the way is not just an endurance test. We just got to get through to get to the good bits. Now, this is part of the plan. Right here, as we go through the difficulties, as we fight against temptation, as we praise God in trials, this is part of our transformation. You know, I think it's a time we, we, we sort of did a, a rethink, a reality check all the difficulties, either in the past or in the present or things you're concerned about, and just step back from them and go, hang on a minute, they're actually part of the plan that I might be transformed more into glory, more into glory, more into glory to prepare me for what I'm going to experience forever and ever. It's a plan. It's a plan. 2 Corinthians 3.17, the apostle says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So the affliction, he says, is actually working this glory. It's actually doing something. It's not just an endurance test. It's not just got to get through this. It's actually working. And he, he says it's working now. Now, you might say when the apostle says a light affliction, you might go, how dare he say my afflictions are light? They're not so light. They're rather heavy. How can he say that? I'll tell you how. Because he is comparing it, he says, to the incomparable weight of glory. By comparison, these afflictions will seem both light and momentary compared to what, what, what is it is achieving in eternity? You know, um, 
you might know, there's an American preacher called Louis Giglio, and I, I want to borrow a um, illustration from him. He he was speaking about how life is like the time he was in a white water rafting down. I think it was Colorado River, one of these, and he said it's you know the water's really calm, and he's just paddling along. He said, and all of a sudden we hit the rapids. And he said, and all of a sudden, well, I'm not just paddling along. I'm paddling for my life thinking I'm not going to get through this. I'm going to die in this thing. And just and, and he said, when I'm nearly dead, all of a sudden, boom, it went calm again. I go, whew, glad we got through that, you know. <laughs> and then it's on again. There's another lot of rapids. And he goes, and on and on and on. He goes, that's what life's like. You know, we're calm and then there's calm before the storm. And you think you're not going to survive the storm, and then boom, it goes calm again. Then it's on again. But I want to add to that illustration and say that it's the time those rapids, that's the time when glory is being achieved. The far greater glory is being achieved. So the rapids are not something just to survive, but actually working for us an eternal weight of glory. Those are the times. In other words, it's part of the plan. It's not just endure it. It's part of the plan. Jesus was the first fruits in our suffering and we're being transformed to his likeness. Romans 8, 17, he says, the apostle says, if indeed we suffer with Christ that we may also be glorified together. It's that same concept. Have you read right over that and not realised, hey, it's to do with glory. It's to do with being glorified. It's to do with the suffering. It's to do with this transformation into glory. Now, I understand how Christ is to be glorified. The end goal is to see his glory. But I don't get the bit about us being glorified. How did that happen? You know, we know we're supposed to glorify God. That's what we're created for. That's what we're headed to. And yet, so giving is he that he's sharing in this whole thing that we will, even our bodies, Philippians 3.21, he will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Part of the plan. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's a plan, it's a process, and it's a long process. Not just your lifetime. How long is this? Romans 8.30, those he predestined, he also called those whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Long plan starts back in eternity. Those he predestined, then in time he called. Called you to put your faith in Christ. Those he called, he also justified. How are you justified? The cross of Christ takes away your sin that was held against you and you put your faith in Jesus and that moment you are declared just before God, declared as one who is 
The record of sin is taken away. You're just before God. So that's great. We're up to there justified, but those he justified, he also glorified. That's the end of the plan. That's where it all ends. When we see the glory of, of Jesus and we're transformed into glory ourselves so we can appreciate it all the more. Now, a lot of people, um, even Christian people, play down the idea of glory, the next life, the glory in the next life. You know, they, they think it's some sort of, you know, you're going to be floating around on a cloud trying to learn how to play the harp for millions of years and that's why it's eternity, you know. It's, it's nonsense. I'm just going to quote to you from Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's, of course, an expert in um, all of this sort of stuff. <clears throat> Arnold says, even if there is an afterlife, it's not going to be like this. After we're dead, we're not going to sit here like this and do interviews and have a great time and have laughs and all that sort of stuff, right? He's saying, even if there is such a thing as an next life, it's not going to be like this. Well, you know, like real, tangible, sitting down, he says, having laughs. You know, he's got about as much chance of that being right as he has of winning an Academy Award because he's got no hope here because absolutely it will be like this. Better, but like this. Greater, and yes, having a great time and laughs. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who mourn now, for they will laugh. They will laugh. The final part of the plan to see Jesus in his glory is, is not just heaven and floating around on a cloud, but the new heaven and new earth where God comes down to earth. To dwell. Now the dwelling of God is with his people on the new heaven and new earth. So new that even though, like our, our bodies, will be resurrected, not changed into reincarnated in some other body, but resurrected, into glory, glorified bodies, still continuity with the old body. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead, they recognised who he was and yet he's glorified. Same thing with the new heaven and new earth. So radically new in renovation that even though it's got continuity with the old, it has to be called new because it's, it's so newly created, recreated. So continuity with the old, yes, sitting down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all those we've loved who've gone to be with the Lord, who love the Lord. So continuity, and of course the, the key thing that Arnold leaves out of this whole concept, if there is a heaven, and a lot of people do this, don't they? Heaven, oh, what's heaven? You know, they forget the main thing about heaven. What's the main thing about heaven? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is there. Jesus is at the head of the table. So this transformation we're going through is to come to this point where we will be glorified also. And yes, it will be real sitting down. We will recognise each other 
and have that continuity of the old. In fact, everything that was good in the old will have continuity in the Everything done for the glory of God will have continuity in the new heaven and new earth. A return to the Garden of Eden, God walking with us, real, tangible, but glory in a way that Adam and Eve could never have experienced to this fullness without the fall, without this whole thing happening. Because how are we going to see the true glory of Jesus if it was just back where Adam and Eve were in the garden? There's something far greater he's got for us. Revelation 21, 24, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into it. Now, what does that mean? They're going to bring into the holy city, into the new heaven, new earth, they're going to bring their glory. Well, it can only be those things done to the glory of God in this life. Nothing done that is good or to the glory of God in this life will be done away with. It'll all be brought in. American theologian Russell D. Moore says, Eternity means civilization, architecture, banquet feasting, ruling, work. In short, it is eternal life, not just existence, but eternal life. And we could add to that that it's all going to be done as worship to the great God and glory to the one who had a plan, a plan. So the plan will be completed after a lifetime of our transformation when Jesus returns will instantly be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So right now, we're like a bunch of caterpillars. Witchetty grubs, you know, ugly looking things. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And there comes a point in the twinkling of an eye when these witchetty grubs going to burst forth into glory in the beautiful butterflies. Same, see the continuity, but something glorious happens. That's what's going to happen in the, in the twinkling of an eye. So if God in all eternity had, had this perfect glory, we've already talked about the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't need us. So one thing people don't really understand is that God did, did not create this world because he was lonely. He already had everything in fullness, the perfect love, harmony and glory within himself. doesn't need us. Then why did he bother with all this? Why did he bother creating where we knew the rebellion, the evil, and the answer is because he had a plan to give of himself, to share, to give of his son, to share this, this glory that he has 
so that we can see this glory and, and glory in his glory so that we, th this is the plan. And this is the giving God, that he's so gracious in giving. He didn't need to do any of this. He chose not because he needed something, but just because he's a God of grace and glory and he had a plan. You know, we say, why did God allow so much of the evil and the suffering? Because we kind of think, you know, this really makes me angry. And, and it's, there is such a thing as righteous anger. But God is infinitely more angry. And it makes us impatient. Why doesn't he hurry up and do something about it? But God's the one who needs infinite more patience than we do. He saw all this before the world began. So what's, what's he doing it then for? What, what did he do it for? The letter of the Romans, I don't know whether you ever noticed this one, but in Romans 9, verse 22 and 23, the apostle brings up this very thing. He says, what if, what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this? to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory. What if God, who is far more angry at the evil in the world than we are, put up with it, held back his righteous anger with infinite patience? Why? Well, according to the apostle, he was doing it that he might give a greater display of his mercy to the objects of his grace, his mercy, that they might be able to be prepared for glory. Well, we're nearly there. I just um, just want to touch on a couple of minor things. The <clears throat> you only get to appreciate the fullness of this glory if you've gone through the rapids. Secondly, if you know what it is you've been rescued from, if you know the rescue, just like when Jesus was speaking to Simon the Pharisee and he says, you haven't loved me like this woman, this sinful woman, this notorious woman, but you haven't loved me like her. Because the one who has been forgiven much loves much. That's why we'll be able to experience heaven in a greater way than the sinless angels. We know what it is to be forgiven. And if this is the glorious plan, how much more should we be embracing every little trial, every big trial, even the disciplines of a Christian walk in reading our Bible or praying or fighting against temptation, giving praise to God in the midst of trials, not because we're just trying to get through the endurance test, not because we want to appease this God. He's already appeased his wrath when he sent his son for us. No, no, that all of these things are actually given to us 
to transform us into glory. Take hold of them. Rejoice in them. That it was a plan. And the end of the plan, as we said, is in John 17, 24, that they might, Jesus said, that they might see my glory. So I want you to think about it this week. When trial comes, temptation comes, and difficulty, difficult people, you can know, oh, this is the hard bit. Uh, this isn't the hard bit. This is an invitation to glory. Walk in it. Praise God in it. We'll get to see who God is and what his heart is. It's a God who is glorious, wants to share his glory with us. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how can we ever thank you enough for this plan and that all of our life is a plan. Lord, forgive us where we've thought we just have to endure to get to the other side instead of seeing that this is part of the plan, what you're preparing for us in all eternity now. Thank you for your mercy that you would want to share this with us, that you would be so patient with an evil world to give us this glory, to see your glory and to be lost in the wonder and love of it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at EssendonPresbyterianChurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.